0: Welcome to the Gen Ed 101 podcast, this time with me, Lee Kumla and Mo Rich. All right, and we are going to talk about technology. And you know, I have to say, being kind of old, and Mo is kind of old, that... Hey! <laughs> but it's true hey. that we have experienced a bunch of changes in terms of the world of technology, and I feel like we have a sort of a sense about how different things are today than they used to be. True. There's a lot that's available to us today. I just discovered that you could actually, that there were such things as glow-in-the-dark cats.
1: Glow-in-the-dark cats.
0: Which made me think, because Mo is our resident dog expert, would you like a glow-in-the-dark dog?
1: Would I like a glow-in-the-dark dog?
0: If that was something that was available today, which certainly wasn't when we were kids. Uh, would you like one of those?
1: I think that would be pretty cool. Actually, I have I have two dogs now. I have Bernie and. But Belly. they don't. They don't glow in the dark. They don't glow in the dark, and therefore they are lacking. They're not
0: <laughs> as they're
1: not as entertaining as they could be. But even beyond that, I mean, it would be kind of nifty to see. But I also, I mean, they're they're nine years old now, ten years old, and I've spent a lot of money. Mm. over that time on little gadgets and gigaws so that they're visible in the dark when I walk them in the nighttime.
0: That's a point. So like have
1: glow-in-the-dark collars right. and glow-in-the-dark little, um, you know, little key fob things that you can hook onto their collars to, to light them up in the nighttime. If they glowed in the dark, if they glow in the dark, maybe I could just let give them their liberty, let them out the front door and the cars would see them.
0: That's interesting. So th- that would actually solve real problems, yeah, having a glow-in-the-dark dog. And it would look really cool. That's true. You'd be the life of the dog park. Yeah. (laughs) Now, would you, let's say we could buy this, that's interesting, but would you want to make it if you could make it yourself, like a sort of, I don't know, genetic engineering kit that you could buy at a store and take home and either fiddle with a dog you've got or maybe just create one in a Petri dish?
1: In my own house.
0: Yeah, in your own house. Create the kind of dog you want, glowing in the colors you want.
1: Well, I would like to have some control over it. I hadn't thought about colors, but Bernie would definitely be a pink, <laughs> and Belle would definitely be like a lime green glow. I think so, if, if it was simple, if it was doable. I do a lot on my own for my dogs now. I bathe them myself, and I mm-hmm. groom them myself, and brush them, and feed them, and walk them. Why not take that next step and, and do it on my own? And Maybe it would be cheaper to have a little kit that you could create your own glow-in-the-dark Product as opposed to going on Amazon and buying one, it might actually be more affordable to me. So in terms of ease and in terms of affordability, yeah, bring it on. Do and it I, yourself, glow in the dark. I
0: buckets. guess it might also be more fun. I mean, we have these, you know, kits to build things ourselves, even the things that we could buy. Um, electronic things you can get like a radio kit and oh I radio... love those
1: when I was a kid yeah my brother used to get them and I used to be angry because I was the girl <laughs> oh and I wouldn't get those cool Christmas gifts and my brother oh. would get like the chemistry kit and the radio kit
0: so this would be the revenge of all revenges right because you could get the biogenetic kit and that yes. would be way better I
1: always wanted sea monkeys too when I was a kid I <laughs> never got sea monkeys which is kind of similar. If you can create sea monkeys at home, why not create a glow-in-the-dark puppy dog at why home? Why not?
0: Well, I guess that is that is sort of part of the question that we're looking at by looking at this article, um, Our Biotech Future, by Freeman Dyson, a physicist and mathematician, who, and we'll talk about the article together, but this is sort of what he's talking about, right, Mo? That he's, he's imagining this future where people like you and I, who are not uh, trained biogeneticists would maybe be able to pick up a little biogenetics kit, take it home, and create something for ourselves.
1: You're making an assumption that I'm not a trained biogeneticist.
0: That is true. I thought that I uh, I, I, had good grounds for that assumption. I'm not a trained biogeneticist. (laughs) So I guess maybe one way to start is just by reviewing a little bit about the article and what he said in the article and, and, and sort of imagining our future with him. I guess, as I said...
1: I'm working on my Mm glow-in-the-dark dog over here. Right, right, right. You're clearly busy. You can do the talking, and I'll just pipe in from time to time.
0: So, our author, Freeman Dyson, imagines uh, what would be the next big technological event for uh, modern-day humans. Right. And what kind of social impacts would that have? How would that change our world? And certainly, I mean, as I said at the beginning, over our lifetime, there's been massive changes. I remember when I first started school, certainly even when I started university, nobody had a laptop, nobody had a cell phone, certainly nobody had a smartphone. And now, I don't think you could even do college or university degree without Mm. that kind of equipment. That's true. What else has changed in the relatively short time that we've been alive?
1: I remember when we got our first microwave oven in my house. Oh, yeah? Because it was a big, big deal. And you could cook food in two minutes. You cook bacon in two minutes. Forget about food. The that is amazing,
0: right? When you go from yeah. like having to fry bacon for, what is it, like 20 minutes before you can it eat it time. to be able to do it in two minutes.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you do it naked, it really hurts. So when you put it in the microwave,
0: <laughs> that really helps. I see. With your naked bacon cooking. Yes, so, well, Freeman Dyson. Naked bacon cooking. <laughs> but these are... And, and I think I remember watching movies where in the 80s, and I'm thinking about things like Back to the Future, where we were trying to imagine what the future was going to be like. Yes. And in a lot of ways, we got it totally wrong. I mean, we were focused a lot on flying cars. We don't have them. We do not have flying cars.
1: Hovercraft, hoverboard things. Hoverboards, right? We do
0: not have those as far as I know. And things that they seem to have totally overlooked Things like the internet mm-hmm. and um, I guess other you know technologies, mm-hmm. solar and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's well, oh, become... we have the
1: cars now with the cameras, which would be great for me too. Like that you can see when you back up. Oh, so nice! So you don't run over toddlers
0: <laughs> or dogs. But or if the they were dogs. glow
1: in the dark, then
0: then you wouldn't need the camera. Now and Dyson though is imagining a future where he feels like biotechnology. Genetic engineering, changing the genetic structure of organisms, is going to be the next big thing. Oh wow! Yep. And what's that going to be like? I mean, I feel a little bit like the story writer for one of the '80s uh, futuristic sci-fi movies, where I don't really know what the future is like. And I guess this is what Dyson is trying to answer for us. Mm-hmm. What is that future going to look like? Is that what you took from the article, Mo?
1: Yep, absolutely. Imagining the future, he uh, starts (coughs) off the article by saying biology is the science of the future, whereas in the past it was physics, that was sort of our our building block for technology, and now it's living systems, biology, and in particular genetic material, and that's what we're going to start using in order to craft, in his view, a better and and brighter Hmm. future for all.
0: Now, I remember some examples uh, from the article, and I'm not sure if I'm getting them right, because I would have to look through the article itself to find them. But I remember something along the lines of worms doing the mining that miners used to do to get metal out of the ground. That's right. What other kinds of things is he imagining is going to happen here? Black leaves! So, that's right. He was talking about... Uh, potentially bioengineering plants that could grow in completely different environments and that would be much more efficient in utilizing the sun's energy.
1: That seems disturbing. How th- mm. efficient? Like, I'm just picturing that image in my head of black leaves, and it seems against nature. It seems. Hmm. I lived in Sudbury for many years. Okay. The whole landscape there is black. So black they probably don't even have leaves. And it's from uh, pollution. Huh. So black leaves, that's a, uh, that's a good thing?
0: Well, I guess for him it's a good thing. Uh, he's imagining that, well, he's, he explains that leaves are green because of chlorophyll, which is what the uh, plants require in order to translate the uh, energy of the sun into the usable energy that they're going to need. Yeah. But that in other environments, say in Scandinavia, somewhere close to the North Pole, If you had black leaves, and I think it's based in silicone as opposed to carbon, if you had black leaves, this would make the plants even more able to translate energy from the sun into the kinds of energy that they needed.
1: Got it. That seems like a great idea.
0: Um, Yeah, so we would be able to, you know, plant, I guess, things in places we weren't able to farm and and do agriculture before.
1: Well, think about um, a place in Canada like uh, Nunavut. That's Where right. if you go to the northern store and try to buy fresh produce, you're buying a bag of oranges. It could be 30 or $40, oh my goodness. and people just can't access it. If they could grow their own produce, that would be a huge boost for those communities. They can't now. You can't grow stuff there. Huh. But maybe if genetically modified vegetation right. was a possibility, and and domesticated too, if you could do it in your own home, that would help solve a lot of problems in those northern rural Communities. So, thum- thumbs up for me on that one. Thumbs
0: up for me too. I mean, I, I certainly agree here with Dyson that there could be a lot of exciting applications mm-hmm. of bioengineering for our future. Certainly, bringing food to communities where it's extremely expensive to produce food there mm-hmm. would be fantastic. I think Dyson talks about other rural and poor communities that would benefit from this. Mm-hmm. I wonder what else. Um, What's the
1: benefit of the worms? I'm a little obsessed with the, the mining worms. Well, I'm them with little helmets and little shovels. I
0: guess, I guess. Well, I'm not sure exactly how it would work if they would, like, eat the metal and then poop it out as, like, pure gold. Oh, that's or that's fabulous. Wouldn't that be great? And I guess that would... Certainly mining is one of the most dangerous activities, mm, mm-hmm. occupations that you can have that's if true. we did not have to worry about mines collapsing and sending people into these right. horrible working conditions. Certainly, that seems like a benefit to me.
1: So there's economic benefits because we're still accessing. That's right. The resources, the riches of the earth. Yeah. And there's also safety benefits because we don't have to send human beings down to do that work anymore. We have the worms with their little mining helmets. That's right. Give and a thumbs up for me on that one too. That's and it good. would
0: probably also be much cheaper, and cheaper, which would then bring down the cost yeah. of the metals at the other end. Mm-hmm. So all of our goods become cheaper. Now.
1: Everything well, sounds really good so far. It you does glow sound. Glow in the weird. dark dog. That's right. Black leaves. <laughs> super mining worms.
0: That give us cheap metal. Sign me up. Exactly, and I think it's worth maybe thinking about the possible consequences of this. But before we do, I wanted to just maybe get you to help us think about and understand what Dyson means by this distinction between green versus gray technology, mm-hmm. because as I understand it, he. Uh, He outlines a kind of evolution in his article about how technology has impacted human culture over time, and he has uh, sort of described a movement away from an earlier technology to what we are using today, and he labels these as green and gray. Mm
1: -hmm. There's a lot of colors Mm. in this podcast so far. That's true. Strange for an audiophile. We have glow-in-the-dark pink dogs, (laughs) we have black leaves, and now we have green and gray. That's right. So, my reading of, of Dyson, and this is in the, the third section of this article, he really starts to talk about the benefits of biotechnology and our biotech future, and it seems to lie in this distinction between green and gray technology. Hmm. Um, so, here's my interpretation, okay. and it's very, this is the simple definition of these terms, yeah. is uh, gray technology means you're working with things that aren't alive, hmm. cement and steel and minerals... Uh, okay. Green technology is working with material that is alive, <clears throat> living systems, plants and animals.
0: Oh, interesting. So would it be fair to say then that green technology was maybe the first kind of technology that we were using as a human species and then gray technology came later?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you even, even in my <laughs> very basic view of the timeline of human history... Green technology, the manipulation of living systems, that would have been the basis of agriculture, uh, learning how to manipulate crops and learning how to manipulate animals. And that certainly, the agricultural era, certainly predated the industrial era. Hmm. Which I would have, i would guess that's where you saw the advent of grey right. technology.
0: I, I'm just wondering if you can... I mean, I think I completely agree with your reading here. But I, I'm wondering... Something that strikes me as kind of strange, I've not really thought about farming as technology mm-hmm. or about raising animals as technology.
1: Right. Well, technology, Well, what's the most basic definition of technology? Basic definition is something that is made by human hands, so the application... Of human knowledge, human science, to actually create something, in which case the learning of how to plant a crop mm-hmm. is would qualify as a technology, or how to manipulate animal breeding, animal husbandry, that would be a technology oh. as well. It's something that humans concoct, figure out, craft right. how to do uh, to manipulate the world around them to create things that that help them create right. things that help them do things. Th-
0: that's interesting um, because then clearly. I mean, ancient peoples would have, before farming, would have been able to eat berries or whatever they found. Yes. But then the big technological leap is discovering that you can do this yourself and you can farm yourself. That's right. And so this is then what Dyson is suggesting was our first type of technology that influenced humanity. And then, as you say, then this leads into this uh, gray technology which is associated with cities Mm -hmm. and industry and Mm -hmm. something that comes later. Mm But weirdly, it seems like we're going back to green, in a way. If if Dyson is right, that our biotech is the future... Yeah. It's actually looking into the past. Oh. Now, Dyson is really seems to be very enthusiastic about this future. He is. Right? And I I certainly see why. I mean, I think, you know, bringing food to places where it's very expensive or hard to farm, you know, making making industry safer and the products cheaper, that all sounds really great to me. Mm -hmm. I do have some reservations, and I wanted to ask if you had any yourself.
1: Well, I do like the idea of a glow-in-the-dark dog. (laughs) I think I've made that abundantly clear. But... If I was being completely honest, there is something a little Frankensteiny oh, okay. about this whole uh, this whole story. So, if you know the story of Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein created this monster, mm. and then you know it was a great, I guess, a great idea and a great scientific achievement. But then there were, of course, unintended consequences to mm. this monster that he unleashed onto the world. It's really neat the idea that I can manipulate with my little do-it-at-home kit. I can make the pet of my dreams. Mm-hmm. But I guess the common criticism of that, um, and I find myself thinking about the same criticism, is it feels well, it feels unnatural. It feels like I'm intervening in nature in a way that I shouldn't be.
0: Mm-hmm. Like it, like playing god. It feels maybe? a little
1: bit like I'm playing god, and mm. and that for whatever reason that gives me a little discomfort. And it seems that. I mean, even knowing what I know about pre-glow-in-the-dark canine technology, (laughs) which is just basic artificial breeding, when you create dog breeds, which is what humans have done, that's a human construct, they don't exist in nature, we've done that through genetic manipulation, and there's been really serious consequences to the health of our animals.
0: Okay, let me ask you two questions, though. First of all, what do you mean that humans created dogs? aren't dogs just animals that have been there? Mm.
1: They are in the sense that, I mean, dogs. Do you have a dog?
0: I do have a dog. You might have heard the dog in this podcast making all kinds of horrible noises in the background. There's actually a bunch of us here today. It's
1: definitely Lee and Mo and Yuki is here as well. So Yuki is a natural uh, entity, obviously. I'm looking at her right now. She's carbon-based life form. Okay. And she's um, chewing on her haunches right now, and she'll start licking something else. And uh, scratching things and
0: making noise.
1: Uh, And she is a product of natural selection. She's descended from wolf, but she's also um, a breed or a mix of breeds. What is Hmm. she
0: actually? She is a mix between a chow-chow, which are really cute, fluffy dogs Mm -hmm. with black tongues, and a lab. Oh, she's... She's Half lab, half labrador, half... Chow-chow. Yeah,
1: so the part of her I suppose that's directly descended from wolf, evolved from wolf. Obviously, that's a product of nature, but the mixing <coughs> of a Chow Chow in a lab, a human did that.
0: Huh. So that's, that's artificial selection, of and that course. is
1: that is biotechnology.
0: Oh right. So breeding mm-hmm. is biotechnology. Yes. And now you were saying that there's been some bad consequences that have resulted from this yeah. breeding of dogs.
1: Yeah, well, purebred dogs, so not necessarily Yuki, but purebred dogs have really serious health issues. Huh, like what? I have a Shih Tzu. Excuse me? A Shih Tzu. <laughs> and I also have a
0: dog. Well, is I that really dogs. a dog, or are you just trying to swear on the podcast? I have
1: to, well, I, I'll, I'll make it better. I have two dogs. I have a Shih Tzu named Bernie, and I have uh, another dog that is a designer dog, a, a mixture of breeds, which is she's a mixture of a Shih Tzu and a Poodle, so she is a Poushette.
0: No, shit, ma- you're me- making that up. You're no, totally no.
1: That's the truth. So these dogs that have been, you know, we have created them. We have intervened. A breed is a social construct. It's something okay. we've made. It doesn't exist in nature. A dog breed. The dog species exists in nature. The dog breed is something we've created. Okay. My dog, my Shih Tzu. I'll say it as many times as you <laughs> need to say it. My Shih <laughs> Tzu, um, because we've bred them to have those cute little puppy faces yeah. with the big buggy eyes. Yeah. She actually is really prone to eye injuries and uh-huh. eye diseases.
0: Right, right, right. And that
1: is an unintended consequence of us intervening I get it. in nature through biotechnology. She has eye problems. She also has breathing problems. Oh. She has a, a little flat face like a pug um, and she has severe breathing issues, especially in the heat of a Toronto summer.
0: Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So I guess, yeah, I see your point that you try and create a cute little fluffy puppy dog and that you did. They did create that. They did. Um, but then there were other things that were created alongside that which weren't intended like yeah. breathing problems and eye infections exactly. and things like that. And I guess this is what you're saying is potentially also at issue here with Dyson's argument that he lists all these lovely potential uh, benefits from this technology and but doesn't really get into any of the unintended consequences. I wonder what could be the unintended consequences. I mean, I guess if you could make a glow-in-the-dark dog at home, Mm -hmm. could somebody also make a deadly virus? Oh, that's a good point. I mean, we certainly manage that with the internet, right? Is that, you know, one of the unintended side effects of the internet is massive swaths of it get laid to waste when a virus gets created by somebody apparently right. just in their basement. That's right. Able to put this thing together and yeah. then send it out and destroy thousands or hundreds of thousands yeah. of computers and wealth and all the rest of the it. That's another good
1: example of the domestication of technology. So if we map that onto biological technologies, could, ooh, wow.
0: Could I just ask actually about that term which has come up a couple of times? What do we mean and what does Dyson mean by domestication? Isn't that just what we use when we talk about, say, taking wild animals and bringing them home and making them tame?
1: It's part of it. Uh, domestication, I think if you looked it
0: up in the Oxford English Dictionary
1: online, okay. if only we had a little... Okay, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll I know it. You don't even have to look it up. I know it. <laughs> Domestication means to tame an animal. Okay. Or to cultivate a plant. Okay, okay. Um, it also has this kind of strange third definition that if I was to domesticate you, Lee, mm. that would mean i kind of put you in your place. That's like right. Domesticated him. <laughs> <animal. laughs> I guess the basic definition of domestication is to bring it into your domestic sphere. To, okay. To bring it into your home, into bring your it, household. Okay, yeah. okay. So the internet, Yo. your example, of that's a technology that perhaps... In a previous point in the history of the internet, was um, centralized in a building, government or academic building somewhere that right, only right, right. scientists had access right, to. Right, it, right. Was, it was for the you know the 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 big thinkers. Right, um, and now we all have computers in our home. They mm-hmm. have been domesticated. Which is great, such advantages, we could have a whole podcast listing them, but to go back to your example, there have been really serious, unintended consequences of putting that technology into the hands of everyone in their homes.
0: Huh. Now, that's interesting. I mean, when I think of, and I remember the pre-internet days... Me too. ...of having to go... To a library, physically show up at a library when you wanted a book, and then you had to go through the index card, and then obviously the one you were looking for was missing, <laughs> and so you'd have to talk card, to the librarian, and then they would yeah, you know, and they it was just you had to talk
1: to someone. You had to, to think talk about to You had to
0: leave your house. You to dress. You had to leave your house. You had to walk. I mean, really, getting a book was like it took like half a day, right? <laughs> and now if I want to get a book at Humber Library, I go online, I find the call number, I yep. put it on reserve. Yep. And next time I show up there, that book is almost, you know, it's just waiting for me at the front desk. It's fantastic. Right. And now yet you're saying that there have been unintended consequences to this amazing technology.
1: To the internet? Yeah. That kind of technology? Sure. I mean, I'm sure, and I'm sure our listeners, our students can think of, oh, dozens of examples of...
0: Mm. Um, like online bullying, maybe? Yeah, that's,
1: oh, that's a good, yeah. Online bullying. I mean, who would have predicted this, you know, entirely democratic technology that we can all have access to and is going to give access to so much information and we're all going to... Everybody around the globe is going to be able to connect and sing Kumbaya. (laughs) We just just get online and and bully each other and insult each other.
0: You know, that's a good point that you bring up because that was something that I was struck by as I was reading the article. Um, And I thought precisely about the internet where Mm -hmm. I remember... Before the internet became a big thing or was becoming a big thing, mm-hmm. I remember the advocates of the internet talking about how great it was going to be and sure. how this was going to solve all of our problems. And I was on board with that. I oh, mean, me I remember thinking this will be great if I could stream a movie at home or if I could talk to people overseas on my computer. But of course, there I've now lived through the advent of the internet and these unintended consequences have emerged. Mm-hmm. Um, bullying, online bullying is one of them Mm -hmm. reduced attention span um, Mm -hmm. kind of social isolation and loneliness that people talk about
1: physical health issues, being sedentary
0: right, and of course this was nothing that anybody predicted and this was my worry about Dyson's very, what seemed to me a very optimistic view of human nature and our ability to sort of um, solve our social problems with technology, right. I just felt a little bit like this was the pre-internet days and we were hearing mm-hmm. about how amazing mm-hmm. the internet was going to be. Or it was then, you know, early 1980s and the future was going to be full of flying cars and nobody was ever going to get sick. Right. and the future just didn't quite turn out that way. I felt like for Dyson, the problems of the world could be solved by technology. I'm just not sure that's the case. So just to give one example of that, um, which I hope I haven't used in a previous podcast. We have actually managed to solve the global food shortage. A thousand years ago, if people were starving would say, well, that was due to a famine or people, you know, us not having enough, uh, the right farming techniques to get food to everybody. Right. Today, we produce more food than anybody per day could actually eat. And oh, yet, yeah. we still have widespread malnutrition and hunger across the globe, yeah. and it's because we have a system that refuses to, even if we can cr- grow it, um, refuses to distribute it to people unless you were able to pay for it. Right? Is this going to be different in in a biotech future? Yeah. I mean, is it going to be just the rich who are able to get glow in the dark dogs and live to be uh, two hundred and fifty years old, and the rest of us oh. are just sort of left behind?
1: So it seems like there's some other dimensions that. Dyson is ignoring
0: That was my sense
1: economic dimensions and, and dimensions of status and social
0: class and yeah. lo-
1: well lots of things. Actually. Well and just your
0: point to unintended consequences. Yeah, I okay. guess I'm just specifying one of my yeah. unintended consequences yeah. that worried me a little. Bit.
1: Does he talk about the risks or the consequences at all? He seems like you gave a little bio at the start of our well, podcast. I, he seems like a smart guy. He
0: does seem like a smart guy, and he does mention the risks in the article, but then says that that's something for later generations to decide. Our children would figure it out. And again, I wonder... No. <laughs> isn't that, it's, it's not
1: ours. We don't have to worry about well, it. Well, isn't
0: that the same kind of approach that we've taken to industrial pollution? Is sort of well, yeah. We need to produce stuff. Other people will figure out how to clean it up.
1: Yeah, and there was actually, um, oh gosh, an administration, a government administration here in Canada that actually said those very words out loud. Did they really? With regards to, I think climate change. um, Before.
0: Oh, of course. That's for my daughter's generation. That's that's what he said. Of course he did. Yes. (laughs) Which is that's kind
1: of that's a little frightening so i think right there we can see our uh freeman dyson utopia kind of turn into a bit of a dystopia but hey not
0: my problem not our problem we get to glow in the dark dogs and then we don't have to worry about it i guess as a way of maybe summarizing and finishing up well what do you think our future holds for us is it going to be on the whole good or bad is it going to be marked by biotech
1: Oh, gosh. I am by nature a very, very, very pessimistic person. Are you? Yeah.
0: Well, this is not going to help because so am I. Yeah. We're both going to have a very dark outlook here. (laughs) Maybe Yuki, the dog. Maybe Yuki is
1: the optimist. You know, when I read the article, my first go through, my initial reaction was, it actually sounded great. I mean, I have my reservations, certainly. Hmm. My reservations... Whenever we talk about biotech, be it, uh, you know, manipulation uh, of crops, so uh, genetically modified organisms, or dog breeding, or um, any of these modes of technology, I think if it's going to solve human problems, which is a huge part of uh, Dyson's argument. It is to the benefit of human welfare, global human welfare. That, again, gets a big thumbs up for me. We We are incredibly innovative, smart, talented species, Mm. members of a species. And if we can do this stuff, not a glow-in-the-dark dog necessarily, that's kind of maybe a bit of a a goofy example, but if we can create black leaves that save lives, Mm. why shouldn't we do it? Um, Is it unnatural? Is it playing God? Mm. Maybe a little bit, but maybe that's what we were put on this planet, to do.
0: Oh, that's provocative. Mm-hmm.
1: But to your point, uh, Lee, the idea of imagining a future and imagining a future that is a utopia—we've not ever really done that.
0: Yeah, we've not been if so good had, on creating utopias. This podcast that's right. <laughs> here, um, today, so
1: I think I think overall, Freeman Dyson raises some very interesting points. I think he's probably right that biology. Um, is the future, mm. but he does fall a little bit short. Whenever he comes close to talking about unintended consequences, risks, mm. downsides, the dystopic part of this, okay. he kind of just leaves us hanging. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'm trying to be an optimist, but he's feeding into pessimism. A pessimist a trying to be
0: an optimist. Yeah. Eh? Okay. How about you? You know, I share a lot of your misgivings. And I am by nature also somewhat too pessimistic. Um, on Just before this uh, section two of the article, Dyson raises a number of questions. And he says, mm-hmm. first, can it be stopped? And second, ought it be stopped? And I think I think the answer right. for both of the, those for me is no. It can't be stopped. And I also don't think it necessarily ought to be stopped.
1: Hmm.
0: But I do think that we need to think about the unintended consequences. I think it is... Um, naive to open up the Pandora's box of a new technology and not also imagine all the downsides that could come with that.
1: Right.
0: I agree with you, though. It's a very powerful argument when we put people's lives on the line. I mean, medical technology saves lives every day. And as much as I'm a bit of a, well, I'm not necessarily always so happy about technology. Mm -hmm. I'm a dad. And, you know, I have friends. Yeah. And I and, and if one of those people needed to, you know, ha, were, were able to stay alive because of a life-saving technology or intervention, sure. I would... Up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and certainly biotech seems to open that up. I just worry mm-hmm. that just like with so many of the other technologies that we have introduced, it gets used at least as much for bad as for good.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... I guess the good news is Lee, if you're if you're relying on Freeman Dyson um, for help with that conundrum, you can look to that section before section 2 where he does raise those questions and he says we don't have to answer them. It's our children and our grandchildren who have to answer them. Right? That's right. So, so
0: so in the meantime, let's go make a glow in the dark dock. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,